we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the lands and waters where we're recording from, the Waramai and Wanarua peoples. We acknowledge the Waramai and Wanarua elders, both past and present. Well, this off-season has been huge, and we know what you want. You want some analysis straight to your ears, even if the quality might be largely lacking overall. But much like the NRL, without a CBE in place and the CB... Fuck. Sorry that one again. Who is on the field for the Newcastle Knights? Darren Tracy's first touch of the footy. Now Andrew John. Strikes a little hole himself. He's close. Right. He reaches out. That's a title, Andrew John. Root streak from the little halfback. And that's a good reward for a great game. It is debut match for the Newcastle Knights in first grade. Andrew John scores the try and that should wrap it up for the night. Coming to you live from Warramai and Wanderua Les, the Bay 53 podcast, episode one for season 2023, as we look to kick off what promises to be a massive year for all things rugby league. This off-season has been huge, and we know that you want some analysis straight to your eardrums, even if the quality is largely lacking overall. But much like the NRL, without a CBA in place and the great unknown over the horizon, strap yourself in for two hours of shenanigans as your pals Bretto and the K-Dog deliver the kind of content only we can offer. Bretto, can you um, can you believe it? We're back. We are back, baby. I'd like to say from popular demand, but nah, who cares? We're doing it because we've got to do it. It's despite popular demand that um, we've put the headphones on again and we've decided to uh, to keep recording. Um, mate, oh, there'll, there'll be at least four happy people, I reckon, mate, that we're back. And that's all we need, four people. Look, but the thing is, those four people are just the people in our lives who are happy that we're recording and we're not bothering them for a, for right. a couple of hours each week. That's exactly um, right. It's two hours apiece. Mate, how's the, um, how's the off-season been treating you? We, we had a Chrissy episode with um, Harvey G and we sort of uh, had a chat about where everything was uh, up to at the end of 2022. How have you been since? Good, mate. Good. I'm, I'm not feeling the this whole summer thing. I um, I've enjoyed the last few summers where it's been quite cool, but the last couple of months have been rather warm. So you and I are very much team winter people, um, and I've because I've always looked at it as in when it gets to summer, there are only so many clothes that you can take off. Whereas yeah. when when it gets to winter, I can just turn the air conditioning up even higher. I can put another layer of clothing on. Um, so I'm very much uh, yeah. I haven't been enjoying the uh, the heat that's been hitting us lately. It's been humid too. It's felt very Queensland-like lately. Don't wish that upon us, mate. Look, oh, um, no, that's exactly right. Like anything that reminds me of Queensland makes me want to vomit. <laughs> hey, speaking of all things that want to uh, that make you want to vomit, what a mad segue that's going to be. Um, look, will we get straight into it? I sort of uh, let's talk all things uh, collective bargaining agreement or the lack thereof in the NRL. Um, can I ask? Is this another classic case of? rugby league just doing what it does in the off season and you know controversy just is always around the corner or is this actually a legitimate problem this time no it's it's a legitimate problem these negotiations started 12 months before the cba ran out so it's the cba ran out in november so it's been 12 months you know going back to 2021 um yeah now this is a, this is a real issue and it's sort of hard to get a gauge of why that it's got to this stage where we're now, what, nearly four months without one? 
um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a massive issue, I think. It's actually astonishing when you put it like that because most people, myself included, despite the fact that we knew it ended in, you know, on 31st of October, we've sort of more been looking at it, well, as long as they have something in place before the season. But, yeah, the, the, these players have been operating without various coverages for up to four months now, despite the fact that – because what were you what – were are we a month or four weeks away from the season – uh, proper kicking off. It's three weeks. Um, three weeks. It's up. So when does the season kick off? Seventh March. The first weekend of, the first weekend of March. It's a, it's just astonishing, and it's sort of a situation that you feel never should have happened. Um, does this happen under any other administration? Do you reckon? Um, I mean, it happens in other sports, but I don't think that negotiations in a sport like rugby league, which should be fairly simple, would, would be this complicated under any other administration. The NRL have fucked this up so badly, and it shouldn't be that difficult. Rugby league's not that complicated a sport. Now, the revenue the revenue streams aren't coming from a million different directions. It shouldn't be this hard. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's sort of, at, at a very high level, um, and I guess with something like this, you don't want to be... Um, ill-informed and you don't want to be too blasé about it like this is a fairly serious topic for you know a a lot of individuals Um, so at at a high level though people will be looking at it in terms of whether you'll be in one of two camps the players are being too demanding or the NRL administration is being too difficult Um, I guess there's a third one as well where you know you've got that both sides isn't or the answer lies in between I probably rest in the the NRL as being too difficult camp uh, because from what I, you know, from the way that the the players, the RLPA, have tried to control the narrative, there's nothing that they've said that makes it sound like they're being overtly um, uh, demanding. And all we're hearing from the NRL is that general accusation of, oh, the players have made this hard, the players have made this hard. But they haven't really said why they've made it hard. So that's why my sympathy probably tends to rest with the players in this. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think it's got to the point where for CBA deal after CBA deal, the NRL in in previous administrations, not just this one, have put off the the compensation and the medical support for players after their careers, it's always something we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. And they never did. And I think the players have finally just stood the, stood the ground and went, no, this is the time. If it doesn't happen now, there's no game being played. And I don't think the NRL have taken that well. Um, but my, my issue with the, the way the NRL have operated, and I think Abdo's got plenty to blame too, but I think the P, my PVL blame would be coming from racing. He had the tab who controlled racing in his back pocket. He, him and the tab were, were in lockstep. So no matter what was negotiated in racing, he had all the power because he controlled the money because the tab had all the money. Um, the racing industry had to happen because so many people on minimum wage rely on that industry. So, so eventually even the top of the top of the uh, tree in in the industry went, well, we've got to have the sport continuing or else there's going to be thousands of jobs lost. Whereas in rugby league, most players can go, well, we're okay if you don't play for 12 months, you know, and, and yeah, it will hurt some of the younger players, the players at the bottom rung. But I think there's the NRL, uh, sorry, the NRL players have said, well, we'll look after those guys if we need to. And the the other play the, the other players that you know the the guys that are sort of you know 
regular first graders on 300 grand and above have all gone, well, we're okay. We can hold out if we need to. And the NRL have absolutely um, froze in that regard. Um, I want to I want to read the most recent RLPA statement in respect of, um, of of all of this. They said in response to commentary and releases releases about the players' CBA negotiations, specifically an NRLW pregnancy and carers policy and private health insurance. This is the RLPA's position on how the last few months have unfolded, and and they sort of you know try to go through a bit of a well this happened and then that happened. Um, you know they developed a, a pregnancy and parental leave policy the nrl rejected that um the the nrl then received uh, sorry the rlpa received a response in october which they then subsequently rejected um the nrl's requested further clarification the rlpa provided that information um with a further reiteration that they need the need for this fundamental policy has to be agreed on look the long and short of it, though, is that um, a major sticking point of this is that the, the women, the, the women's players, um, they seem to be caught up in the middle of it, um, and they're they're ultimately ones who are going to suffer in the long run, you know, the way this is panning out. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's good to see the men have stood their ground, but no, without having both CBAs in place, there's no CBA. We're not going to let you divide us into having two two camps. Because I think the NRL happily would have said, well, we'll sort the men's one out and the women's one we'll do down the track. And the men went, no, 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 that's that's not how this is going to play out. They're both in place or there's none in place, which is great. I think one of the things that sort of, and again, this is why my sympathy sort of rests a lot with the uh, with the players in this, is that, when you're sort of holding your ground in respect of, um, you know, support or or rights when it comes to support for, um, you know, for health, for uh, long-term injuries, uh, for women, you know, for for pregnancy policies, um, that in and of itself doesn't seem, you know, overly selfish or obvious, overly difficult. You know, if they were starting to reach a stage where they were like, well, look, we want, we want, you know, cigars to be lit by $100 bills every time we break our leg. You know, that, that's not the sort of stuff that they're really sort of looking for. And it's easy to fall into the, the I think, mistake of comparing what the players are asking for. We're going, well, you know, if I was an electrician, I wouldn't get a lot of those things. And it's absolutely right. If you were an electrician, no, you wouldn't get healthcare for the rest of your life if you suffered an injury on this, particularly the way compensation schemes go now. But I will say this: There's a couple of things there. One, we we I think we've all sort of accepted that professional sport and what athletes, male and female, put themselves through for a very short period of their life to produce the product that they do is 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 a is a very different kettle of fish. For entertainment, to, for purely entertainment. Yeah, that that's exactly right. And you know, you can't you can't have a conversation where you're saying, oh, well, the brutality of rugby league, where those impacts are like car crashes for every tackle. Well, you can't get then in the same breath sort of say, oh, we're going to compare that to to other labour intensive jobs, which you know aren't aren't have a very different sort of um, impact on them. But I think the second part for me that always I always find interesting, and they're like, oh, well, you know, you're, you look at you selfish like, you know, try being a nurse or, you know, try being a teacher or try being – and I'm like, well, hang on, just because other professions are being dudded doesn't mean that every – you know, the the, yeah. the the what you should be finding from these players standing up for their rights is that, yes, you should stand up for your rights and you should get what you're worth within that fair scenario and other, you know, less looked after professions should – 
happily take a lead from that going, yeah, that's that's what we should be able to do as well. You know what I mean? I, I feel like people yeah. are reaching, getting to the point, oh, well, if other people are worse off, you should be worse off. No, players want to be better off. And other people, other professions are like, yeah, we should take a lead from that. We all deserve to be better off for the labour that we provide. I mean, the statistics don't lie. Contacts or collision sport participants die younger. That's just facts. You know, that's not that's not a made up thing. That's facts. You know, a lot of the participants don't get more than two or three years out of the career, if that. And then their body's already wrecked and they need to go into the workforce still for another 40 years. Even ones that do have long successful careers at 32, 33, 34 have still got 35 years they need to work for and their body's already broken. You know, there's a, it's not the same. You can't do apples and oranges. It's, it just doesn't work that way. The other thing about it as well is that, and it's it's the classic case again when it comes to professional sport, is that, and it's it's we all make the mistake of looking at the pointy end. See, everybody sees a, a Brad Fittler or an Andrew Johns, Darren Lockyer, Cameron Smith in that post-playing career, and like, oh, well, you see, professional sport is great because you just go from, you know, playing your 250 plus game career into a cushy media job who wouldn't want that when that like that's the tip of the iceberg what's actually happening in 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 professional sport is beneath the surface and these are the players who might have you know a 10 or a 20 or a 30 game career their career cut short and they can't do anything else for the rest of their lives these are the players that actually need to be protected outside of that top that 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 tip of the iceberg because the game is actually built on those players. Your games aren't built on your Andrew Johns or your Cameron Smiths or your Darren Lockyer's. You know, they're built on, you know, the, unfortunately, the the nameless players who get forgotten way too easily. And my understanding is these are the players that are going to be more protected by the RLPA. Yeah, absolutely. And as, as I said earlier, that's what I'm really impressed with. The players at the top end of, of the tree are the ones that are standing their ground going, no, this is not about us. This is about the people at the bottom, and this is about the people that, after their careers are over, won't just have you know tens of thousands of dollars to throw on surgeries to fix things that will injure during play. You know, that won't have tens of thousands of dollars to spend on scans and stuff to see what damage has been done to their brains. Um, and we all love to hate him. We all love to put shit on him. But full credit to Daily Cherry Evans, because we all know that you know the money he's made and the way he's made it. We haven't agreed, you know, with the the backflipping and all the way he carries on. But credit to that that fellow. Like every time this is ever mentioned to him, you know, as a RLPA rep and as the manly captain, he always says, "This is not about me. I'm fine. This is not about me. This is about the guys that may never play first grade or may play ten games, and you know, and, and they've absolutely destroyed their bodies trying to get." to the level so that I can have a career because without that, without that guy playing in the front row for, for 300, sorry, for 30 games, I can't play 300 games at halfback. There have been some funny criticisms from my perspective that have been thrown the player's way. I've got to admit the the more obscure one that I sort of saw was um, that, and, and this was only part of the, but Part of it was that, uh, well, the players really have, have got themselves to blame in this because, you know, they were they were pumping the tyres of Peter Volandis over getting the game back on two weeks before and up the, everyone else after COVID. So, you know, they pumped up his ego so much that he thought he could do anything and now they're reaping what they sow. And I, I've got a few issues with, with that sort of position, but I, I've got to be honest with you, in general, it's the stuff like that when I start to think you're going to be critical of the players no matter what. 
Like if that if yeah. that's the sort of stuff you're reaching for to say, oh, well, you're going to blame for this because you praised, you know, Peter Volandi's two years ago. This is this is this is the chickens coming home to roost. I'm like, is it? And and the reason I raise this, I mean, you know, you can have that um, you can have that opinion if you want. I I I think it's funny, but the reason I raise that is that it just it just baffles my mind the lengths that you will go to to bag the players in this. Uh, and you, particularly, you can feeling, I just... You, you get a feeling that... The, and I've had this feeling, and I've sort of talked about it with you and others. Do you get the feeling that this is a news-limited, right-wing type... This is just another union. We're going to bash them like we bash any union. Because if, if, if this union has a success, some uppity union you know, that represents Sparkies might get their back up and try something. Right. It really feels like it's just like we're just going to bash them because they're a union. And the fact that it's a completely different situation to a normal union because it's an entertainment business because it's sport and we're talking a lot more money than normal, um, we're just going to bash them. So uh, sit back. Look, for, for anybody who's not as, as politically left-leaning as myself and Bretto, you know, scoot forward about five minutes or you know, just uh, go and put a cuppa on because uh, I may say something that's going to get us uh, sort of – it might put us on a watch list for, uh, this, for this communism. Is the, this is the podcast we've always talked about, the so, the socialist hour. Yeah, 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 for, for, for communism. But uh, make, make no mistake, what is happening with uh, the RLPA and the NRL, this is a classic, classic, classic case of a distinct power imbalance where one group has all the power, i.e. the money, and the other group who is assisting to produce it is saying, we want what's fair out of that. And whenever, history has just absolutely shown that, that whenever there is a group who is not necessarily doing without, I can't think of a better phrase than that, but whenever there is a, a group of individuals whose labour produces something, once they act as a collective, it just does nothing but cause uh, absolute chaos and mayhem and panic with the small people who do have money. And it, it's so funny because I'm sort of uh, taken back to that. That was the essence. That was the essence of what um, uh, previous government John, under John Howard brought in with work, uh, work choices was to remove that collective ability to get things together. So I have absolutely no doubt whatsoever in my mind that there is a political element to this of a very right-wing mind that says we just cannot allow anything to be seen that is positive in acting collectively. And the reason yeah. that is so clear-cut is you've got Mark Levy, Levy, rightly or wrongly, whether it was he was just comparing it to a union or a trade union, but he let the veil slip when his biggest, the biggest criticism he could come up with was comparing the behaviour of this uh, association to that of a union. It, it is one of the most clear-cut examples of um, that uh, that uh, right-wing uh, political mindset to sort of destroy the collective to dilute their ability to bargain together. And what they don't understand is this is not a normal situation in the fact that if the government or, you know, a a company is fighting the union and their workers, the workers can be replaced. Even in highly skilled jobs, you know, they can be replaced. You can train more tradies. It, it costs you, but you can do it. You can't produce more rugby league players to play at a standard oh. that, that makes this much money. What, yeah, you can, there's other rugby league players available that can play, but you're not going to be getting a billion-dollar TV deal to watch them play. This so the me, rugby league, so the players have all the power. This to me they is, take the, they take their labour away, all the money goes away immediately. 
the most amazing thing to me. This, see, this is why I think rugby league is one of the just you'd be mad not to want to follow rugby league as closely as you possibly can because there really is no entertainment like it. So, Because you've, you've hit the nail on the head there with something. You cannot just bring in what, what were previously referred to as scab workers to, re, to fill the void, and yet you've got, what was it, News Limited? Was it the Daily Telegraph who were saying, oh, there are 160 amateur rugby league players yeah. over in the US who are ready to be signed up and this is why rugby league is so beautiful because you've got the um, the 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 uh, publication the the news publication arm of this massive broadcasting outlet saying, well, let's bring in really poor quality workers to fill in the void. And that same broadcasting is like, no, no, hang on, We've, we're spending billions of dollars televising this. No one's going to watch that. And it's so funny to me that, that that you've got News Limited sort of saying, yeah, bring in these poor quality, but, but you've got people over in Fox who are essentially run by the same people going, yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> that, 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 to, that to me screamed the players have got them over the barrel. Yeah. Because to me, that was a planted story of trying to scare the players. And literally everyone just saw through it and went, you're like a kid, aren't you? You know, if anything, if, if anything sort of comes in terms of scab labour, the local standard's going to be a lot better. We might as well get Sydney Cup or get the Sestock go winners and put a hundred on those blokes, you know, and, and, and then they, and then they thought, oh, I'd say they've probably gone, well, the initial story would have been, oh, we'll get reserve grade. And then reserve, all the reserve grade standard competition gone. No, we're not, we're not going to later. And then they go, we'll get Sydney Cup. No, we're under the same umbrella. We're all, you know, we're all the same players. So it's, they've got to the point where they've got so desperate. They've gone, we're going to get bloody, you know, D-grade guys from America that can't catch or pass to play. And everyone just went, okay, and nobody's going to watch and you're going to make a dollar fifty a game. Fantastic. <laughs> it's funny, you know, when because what's happening now, like it, it was – what's happening now at the moment, like this This is rugby league. This is actually what the game was built on. You know, for all of the, the rule changes, for all of, the, all of the, the broadcasting, you go back to 1908 in Australia, you go back to 1895 over in England. This is what rugby league was built on. It was built on protecting the players who might suffer injury who otherwise couldn't look out for themselves. And so we've come 100 years down the track – and these players are still exercising their um, their same rights. But I, I just want to give at least my final. Can I thought. just can I just sort of make a point on that? I remember yeah. I read a book oh, when I was young, probably in my early teens. I can't. I, sorry, I can't remember what book what it was called or who wrote it. But I remember a, a bit out of it where they were talking about yeah the yeah the professionalism that sort of become rugby league. And the the biggest argument was that half or well, three quarters of the players were the working class. So those guys got injured, they were off work, and they were gone. The other quarter of the players were from the upper classes, and they, you know, they could get injured, they could miss twelve months of work, and it wouldn't matter because they had family money and whatnot. And so, the, so the actual working class players said, "Well, can we just put into a fund so that one of us get get hurt? We will. We've got some money there to survive." And all the working class players went, "Yeah, that's a good idea." And the upper class people went, "No, we're not doing that. That's what rugby league started out of." Like, how can you then turn that that game now go, well, the players are wrong because they want money to look after themselves after their career? It's the entire game. Correct. Uh, 
Bredo, you would have um, heard my uh, my opinions a fair bit over the summer. You know, you and I are mad um, soccer fans in the in the rugby league off season. I and was to Liverpool sucked. <laughs> well, I've followed the Jets and they've all they've they've sucked consistently <laughs> for a while, so I, I don't have that get out clause. Um, but you, you would have at least gotten my fairly strong opinions over what I think is is this completely out of proportion reaction by uh, local Australian domestic fans about the location of the grand final for their their domestic comp. I'm, I'm not going to get into the merits of that one way or the other. But, but one thing that I, I probably, it's very hard to articulate nuanced um, opinion when it comes to, um, when it comes to 280 characters on Twitter. For me, any sport, any league, and I'm talking at any level, you need three things, players, fans, administration. You don't have the players. There's no one out on the field to create the product. You don't have the fans. You don't have that support for the players who are out on the field for, you know, the, the whether it's um, paying for the tickets at the gate, whether it's helping it in the tuck shop at the lower level. And you need the administrators because without the administrators, well, there is no game organised. You know, there's there's no coordination in terms of well, when the games are played. Um, you it's know, a kick around the park. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. But funnily enough, you've hit on a, a, a key aspect there. Of the three as of the three aspects that I've pointed out there, the players, fans, administrators, the players are the most important part of that. It, 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 as much as it's a round table, they are the crown jewel in that um, in that uh, in, in those three entities. Because, as you've said, if you don't have administrators, you don't have fans. We still have players kicking around in the park. Whether they want to do that regularly, whether they do that once, it, it, you you will always have players in in some fashion. If administrators move on, you get new new administrators to fill it in. But as you've pointed out, at the highest level, when the good players move on, you don't have ready made replacements when it comes to players. So, for me. Players are the most important thing uh, when it comes to sport, and they have to be looked after. And that was why, to me, I was sort of getting worked up about the the grand final in, um, you know, the way soccer fans were blowing up because I was like, soccer fans act like they're the they call themselves we are the lifeblood of soccer in this country, and I'm like, well, you're not. Your players are, and it's the same thing here for me. The players are the most important aspect of the NRL. And to come full circle, it's why it just shocks me that they don't have universal widespread support from the fans. We, we don't give a fuck about the administrators. I don't pay my my membership for the Knights so I can go, oh, I love the way the NRL and the Knights are run. No, I pay my fees because I want to see and support those players. And by the same token, with no play, administrators don't have anything to run. So, yeah, it, it surprises me from that aspect that given what the players are asking and given what fa- what we genuinely support i just don't understand why the why the players aren't being universally backed to the hilt on this it's it's interesting isn't it like there, there's the whole misnomer that the fans are number one and you know and they make the game and that's all true the fans produce the money that makes the game but the reason why elite sports called elite sport because there's only the elite at that discipline make money out of it you know, there's no, there's no, there's no elite tradesman. You know, there's very good tradesmen. There's trade, some are what better than others, but you're not advertising yourself as an elite tradesman, are you? Mm. You know, like it's. We showed during COVID that without fans in the stadium, the the sport survives. The sport survived. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You still, yeah, you've still got the fans at home watching on TV, but 
it's still not the you know it's still not the most important thing without the players producing the product there's nothing there it's um I, you know, I, I love the, the atmosphere at a live game, but I'd still go and sit on the other person in the stadium to watch the football because I'm watching the elite sport. That's why I'm there. Yeah. Mate, it, it push is coming to shove. I mean, do you think... I'll, I'll, for, let me ask you first of all, is the All-Stars game in danger? Will the players put in for that? I'm, you know, the side um, aspects as well about player availability, you know, notwithstanding... The players won't do anything in relation to the CBA to jeopardise the All-Stars game, do you think? I think if it was under the old, the way it used to be, I think the game would be gone. I think everyone would have pulled out. Yeah. But it's got to the point now where with the Indigenous versus the Maori, it's, it's um yeah, it means too much for them just to pull out willy-nilly. And I think... I still, I still, don't, I'm not convinced it's going to go ahead. It probably will, but that's the only reason it's going ahead because that those players think they owe their community to play. Yeah, and yeah. we've seen the women's like a, a lot of the elite women have pulled out because they it's too big a risk for them. They yeah. get injured badly. There's their RLW season's done and they're not covered. So, okay. so a lot of the elite women have pulled pulled out, whereas the men are okay. And I think that's the only reason they are playing, but. It really worries me the concepts in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Um, the trials will go ahead. I'm surprised how many good players were named. Like we named a pretty strong team. I, I was expecting a dumpster fire in terms of the teams named. Um, yeah, I'm not sure though. I, I'm I'm a bit disappointed in the players there. They've they've, they've talked the big game about yeah, you know, willing to take any action necessary. Are they going out and playing trials? Really? Mm. I, I'm no. not ask, I'm not going to ask you if you think it will happen because I mean at the end of the day you just think we could wake up tomorrow and there's a CBE in place, but in the hypothetical where um, it's uh, when does the season kick off this this is that this is that uh, this is that informed opinion that we know you all love yeah you're you're right mate it's so it's it's it tick over three weeks until kick yeah it's, it's a week it's a week earlier this year because the season's a week longer yeah um, so come the first of March. No CBA in place. Is are the players striking? Are they? Yeah. Are they? Yeah, yeah. Because the, the season will not start on time if there's no CBA in place. And I and I don't think the players will go for a temporary solution where you, sometimes you'll say, oh, you know, we'll put one player for three months, keep negotiating. I don't think that'll happen. I think they will go. It's the proper deal, or there's no deal. Because the thing about putting an interim solution in place is that you've, you're immediately saying to the to your administrator or to the other side, like, all right, well, there's an area that will relent. And once you yeah, sort of absolutely. give that opening, like, oh, why don't we make it a 10-year interim solution? Um, and then that, that happened in American sports a lot. They they put in, you know, one-season deals and it kept just, you know, going like that, going like that, going like that. And it wasn't until, the, you know, that the, they started striking properly in the 80s and all that 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 didn't fly anymore. Yeah. Hey, um, you you said before um, we, the Knights have named a side for a trial. So um, let do, do you want to talk a bit about footy? Have we, I, I think yeah. we've covered off enough on uh, on the CBA as uh, as ill inf- ill informed will, as it I is. I will just say, can I just say one thing about the women part of the CBA? Oh yeah. I think that this is the bit that people aren't that don't follow the game closely, don't understand. Those women are not insured at all. So, so they go out and play in the Harvey Norman games this weekend or in the All-Stars or just keeping their fitness up. If they do an ACL, 
that's out of their own pack back pocket. Now, some of those girls will be well off enough to be able to pay for their own private health insurance so they'd have coverage, which they shouldn't have to, but at least they have that covered. But 90% of those girls won't have any sort of medical cover. Um, it's it's huge on their part. They're, they're risking not only their rugby league careers, they're risking their work life and their ability to play, pay their bills on just going out and playing essentially park football if they're playing Harvey Normans. Yeah. It's um, and it, it's the finer details like this that are getting sort of lost because at the high level you just hear oh there's no agreement on how they get paid so they won't play, but at the it, when you get into the weeds of it you're like well no there there are, you have to look at these things from a worst case scenario unfortunately like the, essentially all of these players are assessing their risk what, what's the risk in me playing with the game in its current form. And yep. um, you'd be, you know, you'd be very questionable. I, I know a lot of p- professionals that I used to play amateur sport with, and they're like, "Look, I just, I just can't take that." Oh, I remember I was once playing. Uh, I played one season of rugby union back in two thousand and eight, and I was playing with this uh, this South African bloke. This is quite funny actually, and we were doing some uh, tackling training. K Dog was. Um, I was stretching. But we were doing some tackling training. Anyway, this this South African fella who was like he was he was built, but he wasn't like I'm not thinking like that a big front role. Like he was a really solid solid bloke who was um, he played in the back line. He took a hit, he dislocated his nose, and not just the little bit. Like it was like his nose in its entire form had just shifted a center like a centimeter or two over to the to the left so he's looking like a picasso anyway it's quite funny because that night he's like oh i can't and you could see him trying to fucking move his nose like ah, sorry boys i can't get it back in place i'm gonna have to quit training for the night but i'll see you at game day on saturday so he drives himself off to the hospital and we never saw him again because he went to the hospital, he had to miss the rest of the week of work. I think they, I, I, they managed to finally get it back into place. But he said, "I can't play. I just can't run the risk that yeah. um, that I'm going to uh, injure myself long term." So um, we we had a we had a very similar situation um, when I was playing when I was in the navy. And we were playing same sport rugby, and there was a guy that played. Um, for Ramwick, and he was a he was a and you know he was in the, he was in the navy, but he um but because he he was based in Sydney, he was part of the administration role in in the defence force. He played for Ramwick on the weekends, and he got you know he got paid significantly well. And the first probably the first maybe maybe the first game I think it was yeah he um dislocated his elbow, and it was Ooh. wasn't a long injury. He was probably out you know seven or eight weeks, but he he never played again for the navy because he just went that cost me a fortune. Yeah. And that was, you know, and that's, he got, he met, you know, he's in the defense force, so his medical was covered. You know, he was all free, you know, get it all, everything was, was fixed to get free, but it just cost him money because he couldn't play on the weekends. Down the blind, Andrew John. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle have won the grand final. Bredo, you mentioned before that the Knights have named a strong lineup for their first. Uh, trial of 2023. Is that is that this Friday? Is that it? Is yeah. Five thirty against the Cronulla Sharks. Uh, down at the Central Coast Stadium. Um, yeah, it, I mean it's a it's a strong side. Rugby league's back. Uh, so uh, 
this is this is always a name over the past couple of years that you, I, I now find humorous when I see him named in uh, in any night's lineup. Uh, number one, Bailey Hodgson. You've got Heimel Hunt, Christian Mapapalangi, Dylan Lucas, Greg Marzu, uh, Tyson Gamble, Jackson Hastings, Dan Safidi, Braley Safidi, Jones, Johns, Kurt Mann, back in the coveted number 13. You've got Crossland, uh, Tolia Foa, Fitzgibbon, and David Hollis, uh, on the bench, make up the 17. You've got, uh, what is it, another 11 players here? Clune, Tolte, Kant, Armstrong, Tupanua, Jones, Rivet. Ryan Rivet? Don't know that name. Uh, Viola Pietzner, Pietzner, Luke Pietzner, no? Oren Keeley, and uh, Kaya Cooper. Uh, strong side. That You're right. They've they've named uh, some fairly regular first graders there. Um, uh Hastings and Gamble in the halves. Um, Bretto, is this the season? Is this the season that Bailey Hodgson manages to string some, first, first of all, get into first grade, but some, to string just any sequence of games together uh, in his stop-start Newcastle Knights career? I think it kind of has to be, doesn't it? Well... I mean, it's, it's, one, it's one thing to say, well, he needs to get some games together and when he does, he'll be fine, but this is now year four. That's a lot of them. So I know that much. <laughs> you know, like I think it's year four. He's been here. Um, yeah, like it, at some stage, that top thirty spot's got to go to someone else if he's not playing any games. Yeah, we yeah. we all want we all want to see him succeed. And we all know that you know he could be anything, and the the club the club clearly believe in him because despite what's gone on, they you know they keep keep renewing. And but he's out of contract this year. Like he's not he's not signed for next year yet. Um, you can't keep giving a, t- a top thirty spot to a key position like fullback, and the guy never playing. So I think it has to be. How much does he need to play this year then to warrant another spot again next year? Um, he has to play enough that he's player of the year in the reserve grade team. Okay. So does he have to play first grade then, like at five, six games in first grade? No, two. He he. Yeah, it has to be at least at the point where he's next couple of threats. If Lockie Miller doesn't play probably after mid-season, he's straight in the team. That, that he has to be at that point. Yeah. Um. If they're shuffling the side late in the season, if Lockie's out, then that's a real concern for me. Mm. Uh, Speak. But the, the Knights injury thing in terms of like, you know, like we know that Lockie's only injured at some stage. So, um, so yeah, you, you would think he's going to play some first grade, hopefully. Well, is Lockie going to get injured this year? I mean, the circumstance, and I want to be clear from this, there, there's going to be a bit of tongue-in-cheek here, but um, we don't make light of long-term injuries to young players. Um, uh, the season-ending injury that Kay Dyke suffered is just—it's horrific. And there's, there's on his twenty-first none... birthday, like oh fuck, like, yeah, it's just... it couldn't be any worse. Because I, because but... I was of the I was of the belief because Will Kennedy's rubbish. Camilla Roy brother, love you up, but you're rubbish. <laughs> um, I was of the I was of the opinion that Kay Dykes would be their first choice fullback by round ten. Yeah, right. That's how highly I rate him, and how you know. So, so it's it's a massive blow for him and the Sharks, I think. But out of that, the circumstances around which that injury occurred, the fact that a healthy player was coming to the Knights and the club that 
he left was the one that suffered the injury. See, that's usually what happens in reverse. On the day, like it's you can't believe, like it's on the unbelievable. Afternoon. Like, like the, literally, the press release come out, and then the next part of your Twitter feed was Kate Dykes has done his ACL, Cronulla now shot at full shot at fullback. Is Lockie Miller the man to break the injury curse at the Newcastle Knights? Because I, I think he is. I think he. Well, just... if he is, he gets a statue before Joey for mine. <laughs> I'm look. I've I've had a long think about, and I know that it's hard to be excited about injuries when it comes to uh, the Knights. Uh, Kalen Pong is out for five weeks with a calf injury, but even that I say is proof that the curse injury is dead in Newcastle because this time last year we weren't talking about a five week injury. We were talking about a six month injury to one of our co captains, and the and fact. And I that- think I actually think Brayley's more irreplaceable than KP. Correct. So the fact that KP has suffered an injury that is concerning but not alarming to me is indications that I, I, I'm calling it, Brito. I, I truly believe that 2023 is the year that the Knights injury curse is dead, it's buried, it's gone. Um, I think we won't see anywhere near the turnover of players uh, that we have historically in the past. I think this is the year that um, the, the players and the off-field staff, they saw what they were faced with last year. They've got their house in order order, and they've re- – and they've the curse – I'm burying the curse. The curse is dead. The curse is dead. See, I, I, I'm happy to get on that train with you. Like, why? But if that does – just – Say that does happen, and and the injuries this year are a lot better than they have been. It shows that it's luck because last year we had the best of the best in the medical department. Mm. We we like we assembled a medical team that was as good as any team in any sport in the country. This year it's a very young team. We've we've got a we've got an inexperienced guy. He's that we promoted some guys from within. He's very inexperienced in terms of. What should happen? Last year's team should be a lot better this year's team in terms of keeping injury free. So if we actually are better this year with injuries, it just proves that it's luck and nothing more. Um, I want to talk again about um, Lockie Miller because uh, last time we recorded, the, the talk about Lockie Miller was really more... Oh, actually, I forgot. Michael Monaghan joined the Knights. In the office. I reckon that's a great appointment. See, yeah. I, I really, I, I remember when Michael Monaghan left the Eagles, and that was going to be the end of them because he really was their linchpin. I think they won another yeah. premiership and made another grand final after he left. But yeah. uh, I rate Michael. I reckon that's a great no, appointment. Very smart. Very smart rugby league head. Hey, last time you and I recorded, it was whispered, or at least it was still being rumoured that Lockie Miller was coming to the Knights. Now your mail on that was pretty strong like you were you were sort of saying to me no no no, that that's done with the, the mail that you were getting was that uh no it, it's now a matter of timing and just sorting out really in insignificant finer details about the final contract and the way it's announced um knights fans should, we, we get excited about lucky miller right this isn't one of those this isn't one of those. Oh, look, we got Adam Clune. Like this is a this is a signing you get excited about because this is a ready-made um, depth uh, player 
for a key position in our roster. This is this is this is a really good signing for for the Newcastle Knights. And you know, it's, it sounds crazy because he's played seven first grade games. You know, it sounds crazy to talk about him like that, but he was an outstanding New South Wales Cup player last year. Like he carved up for Newtown. So so even what besides what he did in first grade, he did better than anything we got at our club in the lower grades. So as everyone knows, you know, he's Olympian in rugby sevens, but he was a rugby league player before that. He went to rugby sevens because away to make a career out of football. At that stage, he wasn't getting rugby league offers, so he went and made a career out of football by being a rugby sevens. He's an elite athlete. He's a tackle buster. He's lightning quick. He's smart. You, you watch him um, off the ball. You know, he, he gets a lot of kicks on the full because he's smart. He can read the play. And the one thing about Rugby Sevens is it's about reading space. Because as much as you think there's a lot of space on the field, and there is, you've still got to hit that space and you've still got to be able to do it at the right times. And he has a real ability for to being able to find space, which alongside KP, whew, gets me feeling things. Well, and it's funny because now that I think about it, I, I've sort of made the mistake of calling him. He's not a depth player. He's is he a starter at fullback with? Um, yeah, KP? Round, round one. He's he's not in the number one jersey. So the spine, and you know, I hate that. I hate the word uh, the, the, sp- the spine when we're talking about NRL. Well, it's it's the one six seven and nine. Anyway, the uh, the the night spine is Miller, KP, Hastings, and Braley. Is that your one six seven and nine? That is one six seven and nine. Yes. Okay. Is that a one six seven and nine that avoids the spoon? Because I'm not convinced. <laughs> now I've said this a million times. The reason why St George don't win the spoon every year because they've got an elite player in their spine in Ben Hunt. That's the only reason St George don't win the spoon. The rest of their team is garbage, <laughs> but they have an elite halfback or an elite hooker if he plays there occasion. But they've got an elite player in their spine. It's why the Knights haven't won a spoon with KP. To, to, despite us being garbage at times, because we've got an elite player in our spine. We, if, assuming that we don't get the same sort of injury, we don't get a Braley six-month or a KP six-month or whatever, we won't finish in the bottom three because our spine's too good for that. Um, okay, so you one six seven. Our friend, our, our friend Harvey G ranked us about eighth in terms of spine in the 1-17. to 17. We didn't get his input as well. I'm curious as to know where he thinks we're going to finish because I, I've got us winning about eight to ten games this year. And the only reason I've sort of got us at that is um, – well, actually, let's let's have a look at our sort of um, – because I was going through this the other day. Let's go through our draw. I was talking with our, with our good friend Nagy the other day, and I was saying – because remember last year, I had us on 14 wins and 10 losses, and the way I thought the season was going to pan out, I thought that had us in the top six. But the funny thing about that was I had us winning 10 out of 12 home games, which we didn't get close to, but we won the four away games that, I, that I'd sort of banked on us doing. So I still think we win four away games again this year, but we've got to do better at home. We, surely we win more than two games at home this year. And so I'm looking at our away roster. I mean, for crying now, out loud. One, one thing that... It's interesting with our draw this year. With no magic around means we don't get that advantage of we used to have an away game on a neutral ground every year. We yeah. haven't got that. We, we, we play the Dolphins in Perth, so that maybe makes up for it. Yep. But you, you would hope we would have beat the Dolphins anyway, even in Brisbane. 
But so, yeah, we don't we, we don't get that um, that magic round away game in inverted commas. You know, that's a lot easier to win than a normal one. So I'm looking at the first four rounds. I mean, theoretically, given what you've just sort of said about the spot, the, the one, six, seven, and nine that we've got, we really should have two away wins. Sorry, not should. I'll take that out of the vernacular. But there's every, there's, there's every reason there to say, hey, the Knights could have two away wins from their first two rounds, away to the Warriors, away to the Tigers. We'll be playing in the Hastings Cup at, at round two at Leichhardt Oval. But and I know you and I have joked about it in terms of the Dolphins will have the round three clash against us circled for win number one. But we absolutely should be winning that. Um, and then round four against the Raiders, you you were the one that were putting it to me. You know, Raiders fans have nightmares about Kalen Ponga because they know that's one of the that, that playing the Raiders is one of the five games of the year that he shows up as the elite talent that he is. Um, the two games being the Raiders, the other three being State of Origin. Um, so we really should have, you know, two of the the home wins that we want to bank and two of the away games that we hope to bank um, by that stage. And so when you when you you know start a season with four wins up your sleeve, surely we can scrape together four to six wins somewhere else in the season to get us off that off that bottom um, of the ladder again and just sort of improve on last year. We all think twenty fifteen immediately. Or we think four and eight, don't we? Oh God! Yeah, well, you we know what the. You know what the worst thing about that is? Like, I, you know, no, forget that. It's going to be 2 and 0 now because you think about how good we were in those first two rounds of 2022. And everyone was saying, oh, remember what happened in 2015? We couldn't even win four in the end. Yeah. We, we, we shit the bed after round two. So I you know, think. You know, it was funny the last year, but we had those two wins and neither of those are the particularly impressive. I mean, we knew the Roosters, but they were ordinary. The, the Tigers win was pretty ordinary from us. It was the Penrith loss that everyone went, oh, the Knights are real this year. <laughs> yeah, it's so true, actually. <laughs> um, I'm looking at the rest of our – I mean, we play the Tigers at home, for, for crying out loud. Even if we if we lose to them away, we absolutely should be beating them at home. Um, you're right, we've got that game away to the uh, – Bulldogs at home could be a tough one. Rapidos always aim up for us. Um, yeah, so South have got our number. Yeah, so and if we finish the season, so we finish the season away to the Dragons, we'll lose that. Our last home game of the season is on a Sunday afternoon, round twenty six against the Sharks. Old Same boys, old boys last year. Yeah, we we don't lose many old boys games in a, in a row. So, you know, you look at this season's. Our schedule. There really should be enough for us to safely say we absolutely should be aiming for six wins at home, and hope to, to hope to um, scrape together those four wins away. You know, when you win ten out of fourteen, well, I mean it's better than last year. But you know, you get to ten wins, and then anything becomes possible. If, you know, if we're if we're on ten wins going into the last six rounds. Things change, you know. You sort of so, yeah. I, I, you definitely think that we're going to be better than last year, but I still, I still don't have us doing much better than tenth. Tenth is, I think, at the ceiling for this team this year. Yeah, I don't disagree. I, I, I think the ceiling is a little higher. I think the ceiling is the bottom of the eighth, seventh, or eighth. But that's with everything going well. That's KP playing twenty-two games. It's Lockie Miller gelling. It's Jackson Hastings playing like he did for the Tigers last year. That's you know that. That's the ceiling. I think the floor is probably 14th or 15th. Um, okay, so hang on. So, so hang on, 15th. Let's say we do finish 15th. Who to you are the two teams that are just, as far as you're concerned, they are without doubt absolutely worse than the Newcastle Knights in 2023? 
the Warriors and the Dolphins. Let's yeah. talk about the Dolphins. Let's let's talk about the Dolphins. Is the Wayne impact being overstated, or is their roster better than everybody thinks it is, or is it either of those, or both of those? So they've they've got the worst roster in the history of rugby league. <laughs> I, I, but they, I know that sounds like a hyperbole, but they have. They literally like there's guys in that team that are genuine reserve graders and they were genuine reserve graders five years ago. Like it's a real, like Jesse Bromwich, people know Jesse Bromwich experienced. Jesse Bromwich has been garbage for the storm for five years. The reason why the storm haven't been the storm a lot lately is because their front row rotation is shite. Kenny Bromwich is Kenny Bromwich, you know, he's a good enough player, but he's not great. Felice Kafusi is the biggest Daniel skier in rugby league besides Tarek Sims. Fact. Yep. You know, I don't I don't see it. Like Wayne's Wayne's a genius. I don't deny that. But Wayne Wayne's not Wayne. Like Wayne's not what Wayne used to be. He hasn't he hasn't won a premiership since what the Dragons were in 2010? Was that when they won? And even that he won off the back of the storm being kicked out of the comp. Yeah, absolutely. I've always said people forget. See, people forget that about the twenty twenty premiership. The, 20, uh, that, that Dragons team, they had a good year. Like that were yeah, they, and they had a good year the previous year before that. Yep. But you look at that team; that was a pretty rubbish team. Um, yeah. You know, but the rest of the comp was garbage that year because, as you said, the Storm got got nutted. Um, I'm just, just looking on. I just don't see it. I, I think. I think. I don't think they will get the spoon because I think Wayne won't. Wayne won't get them the spoon. But. They they won't be any higher than fifteenth. They may beat the Warriors and the Dragons. Um, I'm just on the Dolphins website here. I don't, this is make of this what you will. Uh, they've got the player profiles, backs, forwards. They've got the coach profile. Wayne doesn't have a photo. <laughs> it's just a black silhouette of someone standing with their uh, hands on hips. Uh, Wayne Bennett, coach uh, of the Dolphins. Look, but I'm he's looking. A ghost. <laughs> uh, I'm looking at their so. Ray Stone is their first choice hooker, yeah? Yep. Yeah, so I guess their one, six, seven, and nine is. Sean O'Sullivan is their halfback? Yeah, Sean O'Sullivan. Milford at six. He's, he's had five good games in his career, and that's because he's playing for the best, for Penrith at the time of the best team in probably the history of rugby league. Yep. Uh, Ant- uh, Milford at six? Yep. Who, I don't even tell Knights fans what Anthony Milford is. Yeah, and so what is that? Jermaine Asako at fullback? Oh yeah, they've yeah, got Jermaine him. Jermaine Asako, Jermaine Asako or um, Hammer will be there for Yeah, the Hammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Where Hammer, did... mate, the Hammer is the most overrated player of the competition. Man, that is a massive call. The man it's... has played and won in an Origin series. Oh, can, has anyone ever seen him beat a player ever? I'm no expert. I just love the game. But more than that, I love the community. If you're a fan of Rugby League or the NRL, you'll love Big T's Tees. Unique, affordable and made for fans. Find a link to the online store in the show notes below. You'd look good in one of Big T's Tees. Um, I can't say I watched, I watched too many Cowboys games that closely. I mean, you I know mean, he's, my... probably run, he's probably run around people, but I don't think he's ever beat anyone ever. Like he's just, He's just fast. He's nothing else. Yeah, I mean, you know me. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm against the Cowboys on principle, so I yeah, really I, try to avoid watching I'm, their I'm, games. Where I I'm can. already picking them for tenth this year. They're, they're my regression team. Oh, I think the Sharks, the Sharks for mine are the big regression team. Yeah, because they draw soft again. They've got the best draw in the comp again. 
Well, hang on. Let's have a look at Brett. I talk in the background while I find their website. For the fourth year in a row, when I've got the easiest draw in the competition, I don't know how they do it. But I'm tipping the Cowboys to regress because I think the Cowboys last year, yeah, they played great and they, you know, they finished top two. But every year there's a team that that starts well and starts above expectations and then it keeps rolling. And you see, like they robbed the, the Tigers robbery against them. They had so many things go their way last year that it just. It was just too much. I'm joking when I say tenth, but I think they're probably seventh or eighth. All right, Brett. I'm I'm gonna. So I've got the Sharks roster. Oh, mate, they they host the Rabbitohs round one. That's not an easy game. They're South, away. South are winning that. South yeah, are winning so, that. So they're away to the Eels in round two. That won't be an easy that. game. Yeah. Then they're away to the Raiders in round three. They're zero and three. They're zero and three at best. One and two. And then they're away to the Dragons. And Dragons always step up for the derby. The, the Dragons love a good RC win against two clubs historically, the Sharks and the Knights. So yeah. to me, the Sharks don't get an easy oh, – I'll retract that because the Warriors will probably go undefeated. But at least what you'd say, well, they'd be clear favourites. The Sharks play the Warriors in round five and then yeah. they get the bye. So I think that's a difficult first five rounds – and then they host the Roosters away to a resurgent Bulldogs. Now, the, hosting the Cowboys and the Dolphins back-to-back, that could be a season kickstarter. I'll give you that one. Um, away to the Sea Eagles. Yeah, they're coached by Seabold. They're shit. Uh, then they play us. Yeah, we're shit. Um, yeah, then they get the Broncos. Look, away to the Storm. Uh, look, I don't but they, think... But they, play, but they play those big teams during origin period. Again. Same as last oh, year. yeah. Yeah. No, that's a bit of a look. I, I will admit, yeah, I think you're right. Actually, I think their their draw finishes a lot easier than it starts. But you know, see, seasons have been won and lost in the opening four or five rounds. I mean, with the Knights, season have been lost no matter what we do. But um, it's a tough start. That is a tough start to their year. So they're going to have it to. Um, they're going to have it all to do from uh, round one, I reckon. Yeah, but I don't know. I've given up trying to death ride Cronulla. <laughs> I, I prefer I prefer to think they don't exist. <laughs> oh, now that's something you absolutely know that uh, that I can get on board with, mate. Um, let's go back to the Knights uh, because we have to. In and that's the only reason. Of, in terms of where, in terms of where we finish, I mean, you and I, it, it, I think it could be anywhere from seventh to twelfth, seventh to. 14th but you know it, it's it's certainly in that mid to bottom half of the of the ladder the coach let's talk about let's talk about adam bryant for adam o'brien fourth year into his tenure um first one does he see out the season do, do, and i'm not sort of saying in terms of well if we're going bad will he be sacked i'm saying do you think this team will perform enough well enough that he will still be coaching come the final round of the season I don't think that matters because I don't think West will want to pay him out. Oh, I agree with that. Yeah, I, 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 I absolutely agree. I, I don't think he's. I mean, do you think that the Knights can do the thing where, you know, we we, we don't have promotion and relegation? It doesn't matter if we finish that for these last. Just let the team bottom out and part ways with O'Brien at the end of his contract and start again. Do they do that? I. Th- I think that if, oh no, sorry, he's signed an extension. Sorry, but do they? Do yeah, they... he signed. He signed for this year and next. Sorry, 
I I think that if this year's a disaster, they have no choice. He has to go, and they they bite it. I think if we're mid table this year, sort of, you know, just outside the eighth to sort of twelfth, I think he survives for one more year. Any lower than that, he's gone. Um, I think if we finish just outside the eight, he just survives. They're already grooming grooming his successor. Okay. Um, I think he can coach. I, I, you know, everyone laughs at me about it. I think he can coach. I think he has a lot of flaws, but he's still a young coach. I, I think that. Well, you, I'll use your example. You're an Arsenal fan. How many times should Arsenal have sacked Mikel Arteta? Uh, I don't think he should have even made the FA Cup final that he won in his first yeah, season. No. But they, they went. This guy has enough good things that will, the flaws can be ironed out, and we need to stick with someone long-term. Today's the day. Let's do it. And it's paid off. And I think the Knights are in that situation where they've got to go, well, this guy's got a lot of flaws, but we have to ride it because we can't change coach again and become the Tigers. Um, can I just say quickly on the Tigers? Yeah. Their coaching setup is an embarrassment of professional sports. <laughs> <laughs> they went... They went our fans loved this season that happened 18 years ago. We're going to get the three biggest names from that team and make them the coaching staff. And the fans have all gone, yay, we're winning. And you know, no, you're not. Tim Sheens had Tim Sheens had the best roster in the world for five years and made the finals once. <laughs> Benji Marshall's never coached a day in his life. Robbie Farrow would destroy a pub team because he's that big a prick. My Lord. Like... I don't, I don't get it. I don't get how their fans are on board with this because they like. That'd be like us seeing Joey back going, well, Joey should be the head coach. No, he shouldn't. I love Joey. Man should fucking, you know, run Newcastle. If he ever coached the Knights, I'd be spewing. <laughs> I just, the Tigers going to be so fun this year because that's going to be a friggin' disaster. <laughs> there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of 05, like, Tigers fans, you get the feeling it just like there's some real 05 vibes around the team this year. Like that, oh, that's, that's what they're. You've had you've had two successful seasons in 20 years. I get it. You know, one of those <laughs> you want to cling to. I, I understand. We're Knights fans. We cling on to the past too. <laughs> the idea that a guy that was a shit coach 10 years ago is now a good coach, and two guys that have never coached and never really ever got along are going to be his, under, his understudies and won't knife him. And then white knife each other to try and get the top job immediately. <laughs> I'll tell you now, this this succession plan where he's going to be the coach, then Dennis Benji and Farrell will be the assistant of Benji. It's bullshit. As soon as Benji's near the front seat, Robbie's going to get a, a four-inch blade sticking straight between his shoulder blades. <laughs> and then sit on the scoreboard at Leichhardt with the head dangling it. I'm just going to <laughs> Because um, that's because that's that's the funny thing in all of this, isn't it? Is that, I mean, it, it was just it was three tier. You know that you know that Vince Vince McMahon meme where you know he's going through the ver- like he go he gets more extreme in his reaction as you add layers to the so it, like the West Tigers coaching setup was the Vince McMahon meme where the first yeah. one was Tim Sheens is back 
And then the next one was, and he's going to transition to um, to uh, Benji Marshall in two years' time. And then the last one was just, and Robbie Farris joining them as well. Like it was just uh, this progression of Vince McMahon where you're just like, holy shit. It's just but it's, it's getting... so funny that like the Tigers fans bought into the fact that Sheens was going to sit behind Madge and just help Madge. Like everyone knew Madge was going to get knifed. <laughs> Everyone knows that Shane's going to get knifed. Everyone knows that Benji's going to get knifed. That's what they do at that club. It's fucking fantastic. <laughs> Can I say this, though? And Because you've touched on something. This is a great segue into something that I really – it's dear to my heart. And I do want to I do want to talk a bit about the Knights coach again. But I, I, can I say this? And maybe I'm naive, and I'm happy for you to correct me here, but – Knifing coaches is not something that historically I've ever equated with the Newcastle Knights. Now, hang on, stop. Hear me out. <laughs> I um, if, if I very much accept that when it came to the first, mm, I reckon, 25 years of supporting the Knights, I was very much rose-coloured glasses, eyes wide shut when it came to the Newcastle Knights. But there were just certain things that I thought that we were different from when it came from other clubs. And one of them was we backed our coach at the time no matter what. Now, I did not prepare well for this at all, but I'm pretty sure – would I be wrong in saying that Rick Stone was the first coach that we ever coached mid-season or at least didn't see out um, an entire season before we sort of moved them on? And – the reason I remember that is that to me, Rick Stone's departure was an anomaly. It was it was just such a huge surprise to me because at the time, like I remember when Mick Hagen was coaching the you know the the Halcyon days in the in the first half of the two thousands, and God bless him, everyone said the man can't coach. Andrew Johns is coaching that side, but be that as it may, no one was ever. Oh, we need to get rid of Hags. You know, we always sort of stood by our coach. Now, I'm going to talk about Brownie as well. I have, since Brownie left, said a lot of things about Nathan Brown, and I stand by all of them. But I promise you, I'll pass a polygraph test if you ask me. When he was coaching, did you ever say that we should sack him? And I never once said that he was sacked. I'm still disappointed to this day that the um, that Wests uh, let him go when they did. I think he deserved to at least see out his um, his four-year contract, and he, he deserved to finish that season. The season was dead. Like, so what if they were going to – they didn't bring Adam O'Brien in any earlier. What difference was it going to make if it was him or if it was Christian Wolfe that were coaching that side? So the thing that I've always loved about the Knights is that we don't do the sack the coach thing, but we do do the sack the Adam, Adam O'Brien thing. And I, I think that's one of the things that's really bugged me about the coverage of him over the last couple of years is that we went straight to the, oh, he has to go. And I'm like, Knights, we weren't like that. We were the, you know, we were we were supposed to be like oh, um, Anakin Skywalker. The Knights were the chosen one when it came to backing their, their coach. And yet from day one, when Adam O'Brien started, something happened where he hasn't been what we wanted him to be. And we said, oh, we've got to go. Get rid of him. Sack the coach. W- what happened? When when did we start going down this path? Wayne Bennett. See, what, where I think we went wrong, everyone blames the Brian Smith thing, like, where the club started to go wrong. And, and in terms of on the field and the roster, that that's true. But where we went wrong was Rick Stone, who didn't deserve to get get shafted, got shafted for Wayne Bennett, which fixed nothing. And then after Wayne Bennett goes, Rick Stone comes back, and and then he's essentially coaching the the remnants of Wayne's bloody Old Castle team and a few kids, and nothing goes right. 
and we get the spoon. And we didn't get, we don't, it's not like we got the spoon because we were shy. We got the spoon with eight wins. Um, so the, the Wayne Bennett from Rick Stone to Rick Stone to fight, it just, everything went. We, we, and then so everyone clung on to Brown. Everyone went, okay, Brown is the nice guy. He's going to get us back on track. We're going to go back to how it used to be, where we love our coach, you know, David Wade, Alan McMahon, um, you know, all those guys, Warren Ryan, not so much. Um, now, really. We, we, we used to have an emotional attachment to our coach. Mm. That all changed when Bennett came along because Wayne's Wayne and we all wanted Wayne to succeed, but no one had any emotional attachment to Wayne because he's a fuckwit. Yeah. Um, then we all come, then, yeah, the Rick Stone thing happened. We all knew that Rick wasn't the man for the job because if he wasn't the man for the job five years previously, he's not the man for the job now. Rugby league's moved on. What happened happened. You know, he, as you said, it was un, really unfair on him to get fired after through the, well, three quarters of the way through the season. Brandy comes in, promising the world. Everyone gets attached to Brandy because the team sucks. So we're like, well, Brandy's our man. He's the guy that's going to rebuild this. And we're going to, you know, we're going to ride with Brandy. And then, yeah, then Brandy was Brandy. We, we have our opinion on him. A lot of Knights fans think he's the greatest coach ever, whatever. But, yeah, he didn't deserve to get fired when he did. He might as well finish the season off. But I think there was a bit of brandy in that. I think brandy's a bit brandy. And he went, well, if you don't if you don't want me next year, well, I'm fucking leaving. So they went, righto, see you, pal. I think there's a lot yeah. of that in that. Yeah. Um, Adam O'Brien's come in, and he's got no emotional attachment to the Knights. There's nothing about Adam O'Brien that there's no, you know, at least brandy, this is nostalgia of brandy because brandy was a, a great player. Everyone loved him. You know, Knights fans always respected Brown as a player because he was a good player. You know, he's a good guy. Adam O'Brien had none of that. He wasn't a player. He worked for the two organisations in the country you wouldn't want to have a bar of the Storm and the Roosters. Mm. So as soon as as soon as one thing went wrong, Knights fans, being Knights fans, went, we, we, we don't, we don't, there's no feels. We don't feel anything for him. Mm. I care. I, you know what I feel? I feel dejection when our team gets belted every week. That's what I feel about rugby league. I couldn't give a shit who the coach is. But Adam O'Brien has made the final. He's the only guy who made the finals twice in a row without Andrew Johns in his team. To me, that gets you some fucking leeway. And last year was a disaster, and Adam O'Brien is responsible for that because he's the coach. But those players used the used the animosity towards the coach as a scapegoat. They knew that Adam O'Brien was going to get pasted by the media, pasted by the fans, so they just phoned it in, knowing that. It, and, it, and if they do it again this year, well, he will get fired because it's professional sport. But the players need to look at themselves because they're using the fact that the media and the fans don't like Adam O'Brien as their shield. They'll attack Adzi before they attack us. Is the absolute attitude in that team. And, and Adzi's been Adzi. Whatever you think of Adzi, he doesn't throw him under the bus. Plenty of times he's gone, you know, blah, blah, blah. This hasn't worked. That, guy didn't, that guy's let me down. But he hasn't done Wayne Bennett. He hasn't thrown him. He hasn't done what Brandy was the king of, throwing players under the bus and then reversing back over him. Um, I just think it's gotten to the point now where it's the cool thing in Newcastle that I hate Adam O'Brien, and frankly, it's absolutely disgusting. I know, I know it's a it's it's a touchy subject. It's a sensitive. I hate that it's a sensitive subject amongst Knights fans. You know what I mean? I sort of because um, yeah, there there are a few fans in particular who I really appreciate that they that they listen to us, and I know that they disagree vehemently with with us on this i just i can't explain the visceral feeling that i get when i hear my when i hear our fans 
going off that because I, I don't I don't see it. And I guess if I did see it, I, you know, we'd be having a different conversation here. But I just see what I see is a coach. I, I see that you know a rookie coach, as you point out, who has his flaws. He absolutely has his flaws. But I do see a coach that wants his players to do well. And he's, I not, do he's, he's not. He's not a PR guy like Brownie. Brownie can talk. Brownie can talk the game. No, 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 forget, forget. As forget. he learned off Bellamy. Yeah, Bellamy's shit. Bellamy. You lose on Bellamy in the media. He's awful in the media. But he's so good as a coach. It doesn't matter. Yeah. As he is the same as Bellamy in the media, but his team's shit. Yeah. Well, it was, and yeah, that's when, when we were talking with Ben last year, Ben said, you know, all these accusations about O'Brien's um, temper. It's like, well, Craig Bellamy's got a bit of a temper as well. Anyway, in terms of. But in terms of O'Brien himself, I just – and I've said this before as well in terms of um, I do think players respond to fans. And, in fact, we'll go back to Arsenal as well because one thing, you know, you sort of said, well, Arsenal backed their coach. As well as Arsenal are doing this season, you know, the one thing I've noticed after every single game, they make sure the players and the coach say it. And I don't know if this is – they say, look, you know, you make sure you say it. But whatever they do, they get behind on the song sheet. They're saying the fans made a difference today. They always say it. Now, I don't know if they mean it. and I, But I will say this is that when you're acknowledging the fans and, you know, the fans are then happier, surely that happy energy has to make its way onto the field. And, you know, I was talking about the, the, the three pieces that make up a league before. I, I believe it in my heart. I, I believe it in my heart of hearts that positive energy from the fans is felt by the players. I, I don't think it's going to make them be world beaters, and I, but players are smart enough to sense that negativity. And I, you and I discussed it last year. Going to Knights games was awful last year. It, it's one of the worst seasons I've ever experienced in my life. I had the least fun at footy I've ever had um, in my life last year. You know, I was blowing up at other fans. You know, the, the team wasn't... And I firmly believe that players can feel that negativity. But if they know that we're supporting them, I just, I don't know, I just feel like it'll make some difference. And I think that's why I get so worked up when I hear they sack the coach, coach is rubbish, get rid of the coach. Because I feel this this burn in me that hurts me that 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 we're like that because I didn't think Knights fans were. It's interesting, you know, we all, my biggest gripe for the Knights last year was how many times at home well, you know, were you barely sitting in your seat? You know, you weren't even halfway through your beer, and we were down 12, 18, nil, and the game was over. No, yeah, you said you said that consistently. Yeah, like that the was, worst thing. But, yeah, but thinking about it, I'm thinking about well, that was the energy in the crowd. Like, we don't sit in our seats going, "This is going to be a disaster." The players yep. can feel that. The players can absolutely feel that and get you know and get the stage fright because that atmosphere last year was abysmal. In that in the middle part of the season, when things were awful, the weather was shit. The, the feeling in the entire stadium was dreadful, absolutely dreadful. And the players would have felt that. And I think that you know that certainly contributed to to how bad last year got. Yeah. Just a bit um, of breaking news, mate. I'm just reading it now. Here it's just come through. Angus Crichton unavailable from at least the start of the year, but probably all of this year due to mental health issues. Wow. Well, um, so yeah, shout out to Angus, and hopefully things get better for him. And good on him for you know standing up and going. I'm not. I'm not in a mental place where I can play professional rugby league now. But yeah, that's a that's a big big happening in rugby league. I don't know if this is related or, or not. For some reason, my mind actually went straight to Beric Barnes, 
um, yeah. who coaching the, the the Knights this year. Remember when Beric Barnes back in the like, he started to suffer from concussion uh, issues, and he just straight up said, oh, "I'm not playing until my head's right." He said, I, 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 I take on board that um, this probably lets a lot of people down. He said, but you know, I, I'm not risking uh, my long-term health uh, for what we don't know about. He, he, he was really one of the, when you think about it, um, like that was groundbreaking when you, when you, if you go back to what he was doing at the time, because, and I was one of them. I was like, well, this, this feels like a cop-out. And it's yeah you're right you're absolutely right it is unbelievable and um all credit to angus to to see him saying that i think off the back of uh who was the uh, the wallabies captain last year who um went home and he sort of said oh, well, I can't. Yeah. yeah they can't think of it yet um but yeah credit like yeah. credit to players this this is what players should be doing you, you should be in a situation where you can look out for your your psychological and and physical well-being if um if you think that um continuing to play the game is going to cause um cause more damage and credit and credit to the roosters for supporting them through all that yeah 100 percent. yeah no no, no. let's um i guess yeah i hope he um i hope he comes through it um what does that sort of leave us, Brett? I'm, uh, I'm a bit. Um, look, I, look, I just on to tie up the the the, the thing on Adam O'Brien. I think um, nothing's changed, and I do know this for a fact. Of every Knights fan that I'm that I'm close with, and I know quite well, we want the team to win, re- regardless of agendas. I, one of the things I do like about there, there is there, are, there is a select group that only comes to mind that don't agree with this. There's no fan that I'm good friends with who doesn't who would want the team to lose to prove a point. I know we all want the the team to win. Um, it's just another day of being. It's just tough being a Knights fan. I say that so much. I'll, I'll, I'll go another little point on that exact thing. The the blob about us trading Max Bradbury for Lockie Miller. Oh so, yeah, we haven't mentioned Max. No, so that's that to me that's on the same tangent of the fans are saying they want the club to win now, that's why O'Brien's gotta go. But they're saying, Well no, we we've got a we've got an opportunity here for a, a player that can help us win this year, but no, we want to keep this kid that might be good in five years' time. Do you want the team to win now or not? Because if you want the team to win now, the, the right decision from the club was to trade Lockie Miller for Max Bradbury. For two reasons, we've got we've got plenty of depth in, in the proposition in the lower grades. We've got a lot of good young forwards, so it didn't hurt us that way. And Max Bradbury, as a, you know, as any young front row, won't be you know a difference maker for five years. If if you want to win now, that was the completely right decision. So don't tell me that Adzi's going to go right now because the team needs to win right now. But then, oh, we want to keep Max Bradbury because he'll be good in five years. It's got to be one or the other. We've, been, uh, we've, we've rebuilt for too long. Just FYI, Max Bradbury ultimately did sign with the Sharks. Um, that was announced a couple of yep. days ago. But, I mean, even that one's an odd one to me. So did Max get released? What what did he get released from? Because he wasn't a top 30 player. He wasn't, he wasn't on a development deal, was he? Was he? No, I don't think he was on a development deal. But they do have essentially contracts, you know, in those in the, the, the elite players that are still outside the system, still are contracted to the club. Which is I more for of, you know, medical costs and that sort of stuff. I always go back to Newcastle is always going to be the hardest place to be successful in rugby league because, again, and you actually used a really good, it's a good phrase, emotional attachment. 
everyone in Newcastle, everyone in the Hunter has an emotional attachment to rugby league. And what we do, and I do this, I'm not I'm not saying, you know, oh, everyone should be like-minded like me. No, no, no. We take we equate emotional attachment with um intelligence with understanding of the game and just because you care deeply about something and what you want to happen doesn't necessarily mean that you've got the best idea in terms of the way that the game should be going and to me the max bradbury thing i think is a perfect example of that we cling we cling to that idea that that the that you know no one outside of a 50 kilometer radius will um will ever represent and win for the knights and when they leave we feel like we've been abandoned or you know we've got to blame someone for it but I think you and I have said consistently over the last couple of years, certainly on this pod last year, is like this is the modern game. This this is the game that we live in now. You're not you're not going to have another uh, you know golden generation like you did with um with uh with the, that won us two premierships. I mean even even for, for everything the Panthers have um, achieved over the last few years, you had to use modern recruitment techniques to fill gaps to bring players in, to create a core. At, at the end of the day, as much as Penrith, Penrith produced all those stars, all that happened because Ivan Cleary went back to Penrith. If Ivan Cleary <laughs> stayed in New Zealand, Nathan Cleary's now play, the Warriors half back and they're the best team in the comp. <laughs> all the, that's, that's all it's come down to. Ivan ended up back at Penrith. Nathan come, came to Penrith, you know, the first time Ivan was at Penrith. Yeah. And that's how Nathan ended up in their junior system. Otherwise... None of these players, they'd still be good too, and they've got plenty of good players, but they wouldn't be this juggernaut they are now without the fact that Nathan Cleary is Ivan Cleary's son, and that means they end up in the Penrith system. Otherwise, yeah, the Warriors would be probably winning the comp because Nathan Cleary would be the halfback. Yeah. So I, I, think, I think for me, I'm happy to support the club in saying – we see a ready, a ready-made, good-to-go, first-grade quality, key piece, of, key position player that we can get now. We're happy to take the risk that that will fail against the risk that we're trading away the a potential future first grader, because you know, based as on you, as you pointed out, Max was under like under a big contract, so he could have left anyway. Yeah, that's exactly and if any right. Club could have come and poached him in, in you know, at that stage this year and said, "Max, come, we'll put a development deal next year. You're done." And we lose him anyway. And it's, it's not like we had him locked down for five years and we let him out of that. And I it's fu- it's funny because you sort of you think about it. What was it? SG, do we play SG ball over the weekend? Yeah, yeah. We towed up the we towed up the Bears sixty two to twelve. Yeah, and and seriously, there was four front rows on that night thing that on that weekend that. Showed every bit that Max Bradbury showed, and so this is this is the thing, isn't it? Is that there's there's every potential that the Knights have said, well, we've got, you know, this happens in in sport all the time when when you're sort of trading positions. You're like, we've got a we've got an excess of quality in this particular area of our um, of our club that another club is lacking in. Now we might find something that they're willing to part with that'll improve our club. And we can, I just, I, I don't know. I just think it, it's a classic case of sort of being damned if you do and damned if you don't when it comes it's to the middle of. trade draft picks. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, it's it's fraught with danger. And yeah, it can cost you, it can cost you the long run, but you've got to bite the bill at some stage. And but the, really, realistically, front row is our youngest position in the club. You know, like the, the twins are the oldest. What are they, 26? Yeah. All the front yeah. rows are under 26. And most front rows are good to their at least 26. 
to me, it's good business. Look, I, I think it's smart business. Time will tell whether it's good business. And that's and that's the thing. You sort of, you, you put faith in the people that are making the recruitments. And, you know, they're the ones that ultimately have to live and die by the decisions that they make. Time will tell how good it is. But for the time being, I'm happy to back them and say, you know what, that's a smart piece of business. Let's see how that works out. You are listening to the Bay 53 podcast. I think we're we're getting fairly close to to wrapping up. We uh, we didn't really have time for many listener questions. We've only got one listener comment that, um, and this is uh, from good friend of the pod uh, Harvey G. Um, LeBron is the goat. MJ dominated against farmers. Uh, that's the one and only listener's comment that we've got to add. Um, Big day outside of rugby league today. Uh, Le- LeBron James is the now the all-time leading point scorer in uh, NBA, and therefore the uh, the best uh, basketball competition in the world. And uh, I only mention it because you and I are getting fairly old now, and um, it did bring back memories for me of uh, following sport back in the late 80s. But it's certainly something that deserves recognition and me- or mention. Uh, breaking a 30-plus year record is uh, is no easy mean feat in any in any sport. No, you're absolutely right. You know, like it's to, to get to those levels, it's not just the ability to get that level, it's the longevity required and the, the, the punishment, punishment you put your body through. Um, you, neither of us think LeBron's the GOAT, but he's the points leader. And, and that doesn't mean anything because Kareem was the points leader. No one considered him the GOAT. I'm actually going to surprise um, at least one listener who may be listening to this. I'm not going to get caught up in the GOAT debate, but one thing that I did want to actually talk about was um, because, like I said, you and I are of a similar vintage and, you know, we're we're fairly grisly when it comes to our rose-coloured glasses in the past. But I, I do want to ask a question. Are we now in an age where um, previous comparisons of generations is actually now you can't do it. And the reason I ask that is that has high, not hyper professional, I'll just use the word, has professionalism and sports science. Yeah, medical advancements, the difference. Has it, has it really created, you've got you've got 20th century sport and now you have 21st century sport. Yeah. Or yeah. is it something yeah. where you say, well, look, something happened back in the 1900s and that's, that's great. And those players and those athletes for that century, they compare amongst themselves. We've got a we've got a new century under completely new um, uh, sets of rules and and standards now that we sort of go well. This is the twenty first century game, and we compare these players in these sports with what is achieved today and moving forward. It's like baseball is always referred to as the pre live ball era and the post live ball era. So before the turn of the nineteenth uh, and the twentieth century. Baseball was played with a with a ball that was tampered with. It was heavy. It was pitcher dominant because it was so hard to hit. And once that got turned into what you know a, a more modern style of ball, um, in you know they they essentially have two different sets of records. Pitchers back in those days used to pitch nine innings every game. They pitch you know four times a week. That 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 stopped not long after the century turned. Um, I think sport in general will be the 20th and the 21st. Everything pre-21st is a different sport to to the 21st century. It's just, you just can't compare it. Like a guy like Tom Brady, like 46, he was still playing to, and he's Mm. still, he's he's retired, but no one's sure sure whether he will definitely walk away. That's just unheard of. Well, you see, the the three players that come to my mind are Cameron Smith, LeBron James, and Tom Brady. And whatever you think about the players, and it's, it's, 
funny because all three of them are obscenely polarizing in their own ways. But when you talk about longevity now, like like because Andrew Johns, two hundred forty nine games. Well, he's considered a that's a, he's a, he had a short term career now because Cameron Smith has raised the. I was like, well, no, four hundred is the new is the new land is the new mark of, of of sort of greatness. And so you sort of start to think, well. There was there was just there was no one in the in the twentieth century who was playing four hundred rugby league games. Like it, just, it just wasn't happening. All so you yes, know so, is the fact that a club like South didn't get a three hundred game until John Sutton. Yes, yes. So yeah, I think I think whatever argument you do want to have about comparing, for me, I just I think the players that we're looking at now, like you look at the advancement in sports science, you look at the amounts of that. Because I think the other thing that gets forgotten in all of this. For all the advancements in sports science, the unethically obscene amounts of money that plays. Why would you retire? Yeah. You got LeBron's on what forty million a year. Now, granted, he could retire and he'll still be. He's got a billion dollar empire. But and why would LeBron, any? And with LeBron, it's not even just what he's getting per year. It's the fact that his businesses are worth more if he's playing. Yes. Now, his so, brand LeBron is worth five times the amount while he's still playing. So you, I mean, you look at someone like Aaron Rodgers. He's in his late thirties. He'll he's on another thirty to forty million dollar a year. Why would any of these players want to quit? You know, Cam Smith was still getting one million dollars in the life. So the financial incentive there now is is so much different to what players were looking at twenty years ago, where you know they were like, well, look, I'm I'm just not making enough to put my body through it anymore. It's time. Whereas today they're like, no, no, keep going. <laughs> Put me on a minimum of deal. If I'm if I'm 35 years old and I'm earning 300 grand, yeah, no, keep playing. We'll we'll go around another season. So the, the, the top European footballers, you know, they have those those chambers where they go into in their houses, you know, to, to, for their body to recover. Like, um, Ronaldo was famous for like after each game, mm. he'd go home and sleep in his cryogenic train, chamber, whatever the hell it is, every you know every game night because that's how he recovered. Sorry, I'm just I'm having a Simpsons a deep long spot stopper like this. I'm having a Simpsons quote where they're they're taking pictures of him. He's like, oh, he's in his regeneration tra- chamber that uh, <laughs> improves his sexual prowess. Um, <laughs> Brett, I think I think we might call it uh, call it there. I, I, it's going to be an interesting year, I think, for you and I this year. We've probably got a couple of uh, outside obligations. We we, ha- we have to be adults, unfortunately. Um, so. I, I don't know how regular we're probably going to be with um, with the podcast this year. I, I, I'm I'm not saying we can't do it, but the the weekly the weekly churn. I don't I don't know how other podcasters, particularly with rugby league, do it. Um, but I think we've got a couple of exciting ideas this year. There are a couple of um, in episode sort of uh, recurring pieces that we want to do. I think we've got a couple of really interesting people who are going to join us along the ride this, for the for the ride this year. So I think it's going to be an interesting year. I, I there's, hope... there's one guest I'm really excited to have. We won't won't spoil it, but there's one guest we've got like that you lined up for us. That yeah, I'm super excited to get on. So I will say this though is that. And I guess this is going to sound like I'm setting myself up for disappointment so I can be surprised by something better. But I think in a really weird way, my expectation management of the nights this year is going to let me enjoy not just the game, but the the podcast as well a lot more this year. Because um, I'm very mindful of what you and Mumbler said, which is just that if we could just go back to remembering that going to the footy is good fun to hang out with mates and get to watch a game as well. Um, that'd be great, and so I think I think this is going to be a different year 
in terms of um, certainly yours and my perspective, but certainly the stuff that we produced this year. And uh, I, I think people are going to enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and last year, the grind and the way we are playing, you know, it, it, the pod become a, a churn, you know, it, it, got, it got quite dark there at times. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and, and that's because but that's life of a night thing, let's be honest. But, you know, like, it's not why we decided to do the pod. We decided to do the pod because we love talking about footy, we love talking about the nights. So this year it's going to be, you know, like, yeah, the, there'll be, it'll get, it'll get dark, there the night, you know. <laughs> We could be minor premiers. We still have a four game losing streak in there at some stage. Cause we're the nights. But um, but yeah, this year I think you know more guests, more fun. Yes, some good re- recurring things. And yeah, just do it when we're ready to do it. You know, not just go. We've got to record. You know, we need to record this week. You know, we're not feeling it. We just won't do it. All right, my friend. Look, uh, I think uh, we better uh, we better sign off before the satellite burns up out of the air. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll um, we'll be back on the air soon. Thanks, guys. Remember, social media isn't a bad place, you just need to follow the right people.